Sefer Yoshua Perik Vav, the book of Joshua, the sixth Perik of Nachyomi, is a shift in the book to now begin the discussions of the capture of the land of Israel for the Jewish people, shifting away from all the period of preparation, the Kuban Pesach, the Brismila, the crossing of the Yardin, the establishment of the memorial stones, the symbolic stones, to the wars themselves. And of course, the famous first battle, the battle at Jericho, a very unique battle for the sake of the Jewish people, a very unique manner in which the battle unfolds, what exactly occurs. The Radak points out in the second verse of our chapter that the discussion that takes place at the beginning, where God speaks to Yehoshua and God explains to Yehoshua the manner in which the capture of the city will take place, is in fact the purpose and the reason for the Malach Hashem, the angel of God that appears at the end of the previous chapter. The Sartzvah Hashem that appears there somewhat enigmatic as to what he's doing there, what he's trying to teach or trying to understand from it. But the Radak connects the two and it simply applies the notion that similar to the Snehab Erba Eish, the burning bush with Moshe Rabbeinu, that there was an angel there as well, so too there's an angel here as well. And that this monumental nevuah, this prophecy, the notion, the manner of the victory, the strategy of war, is passed through the Malach. The parak begins, The city of Jericho is shut down, locked down, the entire city because of the Jewish people. No one's going in, no one's coming out. The walls are closed. No one comes in out of fear that it may be a spy. No one leaves out of fear that it may, be, may have been the spies leaving at this time. The people are scared. There is a mass of Jewish people, of an army, of a nation gathered outside their walls, and they are in lockdown, they are in shutdown. The soldiers, their army, the Jericho army, is encamped and entrenched inside the walls. Vayomer Adonai Yehoshua in verse 2, God speaks to Yehoshua, Re'ei, God says to Yoshua, Re'ei, see. The Datsofrin points out that the word Re'ei is to be understood in the following way. It's a command to understand and to see it as if the item is in front of your face. It's a real personal knowledge, a very significant connection to what it is that the person is speaking to you, and something that Yeshua should be confident about. God speaks to Yeshua and He says, Yeshua, the whole thing is given to you. I put it in your hands. Complete and utter destruction of the city, it's yours. But this is how it's to be done in verse 3, Pasuk Gimel, you should surround the city, all of the soldiers, you should go around the city one time and do that for six days. What we're going to do is we're going to understand the basic understanding of the text, the basic reading of the Psukim, and then layer in a very interesting understanding that comes to us from the Malbim in his Perush, in his commentary, 
for fascinating perspective on how this miracle takes place and essentially very key is the manner in which the Jewish people line up, quote-unquote, for the sake of this battle. So here it is that the warriors are to surround the city, right, from, from the notion of, of a sivuv, of being surrounding it, and then circling it, and at the same time going around it, a hekef, like we have hakafot on the chagim, on the holidays, we have hakafos on Simchas Torah, we're making also with the Arava and with our with our Lulav and Esrog. We go around one time, he says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu Yoshua, one time for six days. At the same time, verse 4, V'shiva kohanim yisu shiva shofros hayovlim lifnei ha'aron and seven kohanim should carry seven shofros before the Aron. And on the seventh day, they shall go around the city seven times, and those Kohanim should be blowing shofar all of the time. While they're going around, while they're encircling the city, they should be blowing shofar. The Hayoa Pasuke continues, Kishamachem, it's a Kriuksiv, right? It's written as Bishamachem, it's read as Kishamachem, Kishamachem es Kol Hashofar, Yariu Kol Am Chuagadola, Benafla Chomasa Ir Tachteha, Vealuha Am Ishnegdo. So it is, says Hakarish Baruchu, when they elongate the sound of the shofar, Yovel is another term for a shofar, specific kind. When they elongate the sounds and they make the sounds very long and that, as that's going on, when you hear that sound, then everybody in the nation, the entire nation, should let out a loud sound. It would seem to be simply a loud battle cry of sorts as opposed to perhaps everybody carrying a shofar. And the wall will come tumbling down in its place. And then you will go up to battle, mano a mano, man against man, the people that are standing around you. Interestingly enough, the Radak makes a very important point here. Leaving aside the sevens for a moment, which we'll get to, if the wall comes tumbling down, as it were, what about the house of Rachav? We saw in previous chapters that Rachav lived on the wall. In fact, that the window of her home um, essentially either was the wall or protruded through the wall. So what about her house? What about where she lived? She was promised that she would survive. If she's going to survive, the promise was everyone had to be in her home who was going to survive with her. So then it can't be that her house comes tumbling down or that the wall of her home comes tumbling down. So the Radak makes a very important and very interesting point with respect to the wall tumbling down. What he says is that the entirety of the wall of Yericho does not fall down but rather a significant portion of the wall falls down, enough by which the Jewish people can enter and attack the city of Jericho and destroy what needs to be destroyed. And that the house of Rachav is located in a different area of the wall, which in fact does not fall down. Miraculous as it is, in the sense that some of the wall falls down, it diminishes the magnitude, per se, in our minds, of what we think when we think about the story of Yericho, of Jericho, in the entire walls falling down. Either way, it's a miraculous event. So, what do we have? We have the 
Kohanim, we have the Aron, we have the soldiers, we have the Jewish people. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of walking. Imagine sitting inside Yericho, and this is what you see. You've seen the Jewish people have bris milah. You've seen them sit down to a festive meal. And now you see them come up to your city and circle around your city day after day after day, making noise through the shofros and no other noise. It's what they call in modern warfare psych ops, psychological operations, right? You are trying to psych out the enemy. You're trying to scare the enemy to put some level of doubt in their minds, some confusion in their hearts, a sense of discombobulating the people that you're fighting against. You can imagine watching thousands upon thousands of people walking around your city fully armed, just walking around the city, making no other noise than the cry and the sounds of a shofar. In Pasuk Vav, in verse 6, he now takes what God has told him and now shares it. He says to the Kohanim again, as we saw in previous Prakim, in the previous chapters, that the Kohanim will be the ones carrying the Aron Habris. And seven Kohanim will carry Shofros. So now already, let's think of the lineup. We have the Aron being carried. We have in front of the Aron. We have other Kohanim with their Shofros. Pasuk Zayin. Again, a Kriyu Ksiv. Vayomru is the Ksiv. Vayomir is the Kri. Vayomir El Ha'am. He speaks to the nation. Ivru v'sobo esayir. V'chalutz ya'avor lifnei aron Adonai. He says to the nation, it would seem, the entirety of the nation, go before us and circle the city. And the Chalutz will travel before the Ara. This is on day one. The way it's understood and the way we have to see it is in the following reverse manner. And this is where this very crucial Malbim comes in. Malbim says the way that this was set up is as follows. The Aron is near the back. The Kohanim with the Shofros are next to the Aron, going forward. You then have the Chalutz, the pioneering soldiers, the two and a half tribes, Reuben, Gad, Hapatzit, Sheba, Menashe, in front of them. And in front of them is the entirety of the nation, except for a group called the Me'asef, who we're about to find to meet, and that's Shevet Dan. So interestingly enough, as before we had the Aron out front leading the pack, and you had the Chalutzim leading the pack out of the water, here they're not, in fact, in front. They're part of the story. They're in battle mode, they're in battle battle gear, but they're not out in front leading the charge. And in fact, it appears that on the first day, the entirety of the nation, the entirety of the group, in fact, encircles the city. Again, a massive event, a mass march on Jericho, for lack of any other term. Pastor tests. Again, Kriuksiv. Right, it's read as Tok A. Right, the Chalutzim are ahead of the Kohanim. And the Maasef, the ingath, the gatherers of the of the rest, are at the back, behind this entirety of this group that is blowing shofar and is making a lot of noise. 
with one additional very important detail. That's Ha'am Tziva Yehoshua Lemor. Lo Sariu Velo Sashmiu Es Kolechem Velo Yetzei Mipichem Davar. Ad Yom Amri Aleichem Hariu Vahari Osem. Yehoshua says to them, everybody must be absolutely silent other than the sound of the shofar. Any other sound would disrupt what they're trying to accomplish. Everybody must be silent. Again, picture it in your mind. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people walking fully armed in silence. Kohanim blowing shofars, the Aron Hashem, and the Maasef around the city. And then, as Pasuk Yidala, verse 11 tells us an amazing thing. They go around the city. Different commentaries work on the language of Vayasev as in the singular, so that maybe it's Yehoshua by himself. Nonetheless, one could say that it's the, the magnitude and the multitude of the people viewed as one, encircle the city, go around the city one time, and they go home. They go home. So it's day one. This massive group of people approach the city of Yericho and walled and encircled and the whole thing. They walk around the city. They blow shofar. They make a lot of noise. And then they leave. What comes next is then a description of the next day. To which the Malbim asks a very important question. What's the value of telling it to me again? Just simply in short to say, This is what they did for six days. Why the next few psukim, which detail days two through six, it, it seems superfluous. So we'll get to a very beautiful, very powerful Malbim in just a moment. They ask him, Yoshua Baboker, Yoshua rises the next morning early. Right? The language of Ayashkim should should conjure up in our minds Vayashkim Avraham Baboker that Avraham rose early in the morning Yoshua rises early in the morning he has a task he has a fulfillment he has a mitzvah to accomplish he has the word of God to do and the Kohanim take the Aron now the Kohanim with the Shofros are walking in front of the Aron they're going and blowing shofar when they're supposed to blow shofar. It seems for the entirety of the time that they're going, they're blowing shofar. And the chalutz is walking before them. Right? These two and a half tribes. And the masef is in the back. They go around the city on the second day one time. And they go back. And this is what they did for six days. So that's where the Malvim asked the question. Just tell me this is what they did for six days. What's the rest of the details? So the Malvim says something unbelievable. He says as follows. The Kohanim take in verse Yud Gimon 13. Sorry, the end of your base. I apologize. The Kohanim. He says that the Kohanim carried the Aron now from Gilgal all the way to Yericho. On the first day, the Levim carried the Aron. 
because the word of God came to Yeshua when he was in Yericho. So on the first day, you had a normal situation with the Aaron, the Levim whose job it was, was tasked to carry the Aaron, were carrying the Aaron. And then once the word of God came to Yeshua that it should be Kohanim, they changed. On the second day, says the Malbim, what the Navi tells us is that the moment they left the home base at Gilgal, they were already in formation. So now they're walking, they're marching along the road up to Yericho, fully in formation, fully armed and ready to go. Imagine what the people of Jericho are thinking. Today's the day they're coming after us. Today the day they're coming, coming to battle. And then boom, again, they go around the city, they blow shofar, and they go home for six days. The people of Jericho must have been going bonkers, going out of their mind. What is going on? What kind of war is this? Who are these people? What are they trying to do here? And it's clear that it is very different than anything they may have witnessed in battle before, and certainly very different than anything any of the other nations are going to understand in battle going ahead. And then Pasuk tests Vav in 15. And so it was on the seventh day. They get up very early in the morning. And they go around the city in formation seven times. Only on this day do they go around the city seven times. Before we continue, let's understand this issue of sevens. Rashi tells us that when it says Bayom Hashvi, that it was Shabbos, that this happened on Shabbos, that the tumbling of the walls of Yericho happened on the seventh day of the week, on a Shabbos day, which will help us explain something which will come later. But understand, what is this notion of sevens? To pick up upon a very powerful Radak. The Radak says as follows. This is a Radak in Pasa Gimbal it happens to be. There's no reason to ask questions as to the reason as to why it is that a Kadesh Baruch Hu does what he does. Or the reason as to why it's seven Kohanim and seven Shofros and seven Hakafos and seven days. That is not something we can answer. It's beyond us to possibly answer. Now, obviously, we know the notion of seven and the power of seven in Torah, in our mitzvos, and how much the number seven informs us. To simply state it, again, simply state it, although this, may, this certainly does not go to the depths of the seven, the seven idea, is the notion that seven is the normal cycle, and it's the normal cycle that only is normal by virtue of the fact that God established that that's a seven, that's a cycle. Seven days is a cycle. Something of seven is a complete item. It's finished. On the seventh day, God put his stamp, quote unquote, on that cycle by virtue of completing it, by virtue of endowing it and imbuing it with a sense of holiness. Thus, when we have other sevens, it's a notion of a completion a fulfillment of a cycle, a fulfillment of an object, a fulfillment of an act. All of our holidays, the holidays are seven days long, I'll be the Torah. We have other mitzvahs that are related to the concepts of sevens. And that there's a value in that number. And there's a value in understanding of the notion of stamping something with a symbol of holiness, of purity, of sanctity. And so it is here at the same time that this again, this war, 
is not typical. It's not meant to be understood in a regular way. And it shouldn't be viewed in a normal manner by anybody. It's true that future wars will be fought in a more natural, quote-unquote, way, in a more militaristic way. And this war as well, after the walls come tumbling down, is in fact a real, a real battle. The Jews win and no one dies, Baruch Hashem. But nonetheless, it's a, real, it's a real war. There are real weapons at play. But understand that what they're trying to accomplish, what HaKadosh Baruch was trying to explain to them, that it's not about being the, the most armed or the best suited at war, but by virtue that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants this to happen, and there's a way in which HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants this to happen, that's how it happens, and that's why it happens the way it does. And that's significant. And that has to be understood. And the Jewish people have to understand that. The people of Yericho have to understand that. And everybody else around Yericho, who's quote-unquote watching and listening, also have to understand that these are not regular people, that their God is not some God like any other God in the universe, but in fact is Melech Malchai Amlachim, the king of all kings. So by virtue of endowing it with the notion of seven, of giving it completion, fulfillment in that way, it's making it a holy act. It's raising it to a higher level. Back to the text. Pasuk test Zion. And it was on the seventh circle on the seventh day. The Kohanim gave out big takiyos on the shofar. Yehoshua says to the nation, Cry out, make the noise, scream, blend the sounds. God has given you this city. Remember also that in each of the six days that preceded, the Jewish people, it seems, do not know when in fact it's going to happen. The Yeshua tells them, go around the city, go around the city, go around the city. It's not exactly clear that they know that on the seventh day it's, also, it's all going to go down. But they know that once the seventh day comes and they do something differently, something's going to happen. And therein, Yoshua uses their desire to go forward, their, their want to fulfill what HaKadosh Baruch Hu's purpose is for them, for them and with them to ennoble them and enable them to go forward. In Yudzayin, before the people are about to do it, before it's about to happen, Yeshua makes a very important statement. The city that you're about to enter, all that's in it, La Hashem. For a variety of reasons that can be offered, that appear across the spectrum of the commentaries, the city is not to be taken home to our camp. It's a cherem. It's holy, Rashi says. It's kadosh. Just like Rashi says, quoting the Medrash, just like Shatrei Shabbos and it's kadosh, so to the city itself is kadosh. Don't touch it. It belongs to God. The only thing is Rachav because of what she did for our Malachim. It may be the first time that Yeshua informs them that in fact there were spies that went, but nonetheless he does inform them in public that she did a great chesed for our people, she did a great tova for our people, and she, by virtue of her act, should be saved. The way Yoshua deems it publicly is because she hid them. He doesn't talk about the agreement that the spies made with her. He discusses that later. But the city itself, Cheyram, she saved. V'rak atem shimru min ha-cheyram. min ha 
Be careful with the cherem, lest you come to take from the cherem. Lest something happen to Klai Yisrael, the Klai Yisrael become a cherem, the Klai Yisrael become um, dirty. It's a cautionary statement by Yehoshua to the people, be careful. It's very easy and very tempting to take and to touch and to want and to have. You're victorious. This is stuff is there. It's our land. It's our stuff. No. It's similar to what happens later on in Tanakh when Mordechai commands the Jewish people in Shushan not to partake of the Shalal. Shalal of us, let it be, leave it. Our purpose is X, not Y. Our purpose is the destruction of the people. It's the establishment of our presence in the land. Leave it for God. Don't let anyone think otherwise with respect to our people. We're not here for the money, quote-unquote. We're here to conquer the land, to settle our people in its proper place, in its proper time. And to diminish it, per se, by being focused on grabbing the gold, silver, and whatever else may have been in Yericho, would diminish the accomplishment, would diminish the moment. In your test, in verse 19, all that's in there is supposed to be holy to God. It is to be used for the Beda Kabayis, as it were, for the uh, safekeeping and the upkeep of the Mishkan. And Pasuk comes, and now it happens. The, the voices meld. We have a blending of the sounds of the shofar and the sounds of the nation. The let out a very loud yell. Again, the notion of scaring the enemy, of the notion of being excited, of fulfilling mitzvah Hashem. And the wall falls down on its spot. And they, 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 they take the city. Everything happens exactly as it was to her. They destroy the men, the women, and the children, old and young, and all the animals, wiped out. And then Yoshua turns to the Miraglin. To the Miraglin. Before they malachim, now that the miraglim, Amar Yeshua Yeshua says, "Bo beis haisha hazona, vaotziem mishamet haisha veskolas shalaka shenis bantem la." You too must go to her house, and it's upon you to save her, to rescue her. It's your job because of what you promised her. Here Yeshua uses the shvuah that they made. As opposed to before, where it's simply her act of chesed. Her act of chesed obviously is what led to the shua, but in fact it's the shua. So he it says it's on you to make sure that she's okay. The men, the young men, and the miraglim, the spies, they come to her house. They set her up outside the camp. Maybe she's not yet a full member of the community. Maybe there's still some that has to get done before she really does join in the Jewish people. Interestingly enough, a very powerful Rashi. The language that's used with respect to our, these, these two Miraglim, again, the Majashim tell us it's Kalev and Pinchas, first the Malachim, then the Ne'arim, and then the Miraglim. And Rashi points out that they're Malachim at the outset because when they were with this woman, Haisha Hazona, this very famous prostitute, they were very 
careful. They were holy. They were sanctified. They did not behave improperly. They're malachim. Now they're ne'arim. So you can take them as ne'arim, that they're misharsim, that they're servants of Yehoshua, in the same way that Yehoshua was a na'ar with respect to Moshe Rabbeinu. They're simply people going to do their task to fulfill what it is that's upon their heads to do. Ve'ha'ir and chafdalid, in verse 24, and they burned down the city. But the gold and the silver, that they took and used that again as an otzar, as sort of a treasure for the house of God. When it's written down for all eternity as to why it is that Rachav is saved, it's because she hid the two men when they went to spy out the city. The language of Hechaya Yehoshua is very interesting in that Pasuk and Chafhei. The different commentaries, quoting from all of the different Chazals, the words of our sages, Hechaya Yehoshua can be viewed simply that he thanked her by taking care of her, making sure that she had a place in the camp amongst the people, that she should be viewed as an equal member of the Jewish people. Until this day. But even further, the Midrashim talked about the notion that Yehoshua Hechayah, Yeshua gave her life, so Yeshua married her, according to the Midrashim, and that their children and then the generations that followed were, were prophets, were a very high, very holy type of people. By virtue of the magnitude of her act, the, the magnitude of her words, back in Perak Bays in, in chapter 2, she becomes a very powerful personality in the Jewish people. And the parak ends with the following. By Yashba Yehoshua, by Esa Hilimor. Yehoshua swears the following. Arura Yishlifne Adonai Shiyakumu Vanai Esa Yirhazos Esirichov, Bibichoro Yisadena, Yiyasdena, Ubitziro Yatsiv Dilasea. Yehoshua swears that evil is the person who builds the city of Jericho, whether they use the name Yericho for another town, or in fact rebuild the town as it is where it is, that person will be punished. The level of the severity of the punishment amongst the commentaries varies, whether it's some of the oldest and the youngest will die, or it's all of the children, as Rashi says, but that the person's children will not survive and they will be punished. God is with Yehoshua, and Yehoshua is heard of in all of the cities, in the multiplicities, multitudes of the nations that exist in the land. Yehoshua now becomes known and the act itself, and the miracle, and the event itself spread throughout the communities. One would have to believe that if the nations weren't scared enough as it is already, then now they would be infinitely more afraid of the Jewish people. And it's only because of what's going to happen in I, in the coming parak, that there's any chance, any chance at all, for any of the nations to have any confidence with respect to fighting back. But absent I and the events that lead up to I, they would have routed every town and every place where they would have gone. So our Perek is a fascinating Perek. We have this monumental moment in history, this incredible battle that takes place in a most unique manner. Nothing else happens in the same way. I will be much more military in style, using ambushes and the like. Here, Yericho 
is the statement, right? If you are the military leader, of course you want to win every battle. You want to win the entirety of the war. But perhaps by establishing through a most phenomenal routing of the enemy and vanquishing them in such a monumental way will put fear in the hearts of the others, will increase the confidence level of your own. And even if the other battles will not be fought in the same manner, they can know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Bekeir Va'am, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that God is with the people, that He's fighting for the people, that He's fighting to establish His people in their land. We continue tomorrow with chapter 7, Parag Zion.